electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grosso ahead on Fast, a rip higher for retail. Coal surging today on reports of a new bid for the department store chain. Stick around to see which one of our traders has been nibbling on this one. Plus, Baba Booyah, as our friend Jim Kramer would say. If you listen to Guy last night, you place your bets on Alibaba and watch your bottom line go boom inside the monster rebound for Chinese stocks. And later, a fast pitch from a new face to fast money, Catherine Avery, here to tell us why now is the time to buy IBM. A bold call in a stock that's been heading in the wrong direction for over a decade. We start off with the Powell rally, stock selling off sharply initially after the Fed announced its first rate hike in over three years. But when the chairman took to the podium, he seemed to calm market fears, sending the S&P back up more than 2 percent, closing at the highs of the day. So what exactly did he say that got stocks rallying again? Steve Leesman, we turn to you for the answer. Yeah, I got wax in my ears on that one. All I know, Melissa, is that we do have lift off the Fed raised interest rates for the first time in three years, brought its funds raise up by a quarter percentage point to the new range, 0.25 to 0.5, and it firmly signaled more rate hikes to come. The statement said it expects to begin balance sheet reduction at a coming meeting, and in his press conference, Fed Chair Jay Powell suggested that could come as soon as the next one in May. Further, Powell also was clear if inflation is not seen coming down as expected, the Fed could in future meetings hike rates by more than a quarter point. We'll be looking at, at, the, at the data as they come in. We'll be looking to see whether the data show expected improvement on inflation. We'll be looking at the inflation outlook and making a judgment. And we'll be going, you know, each meeting is a live meeting. And if, if we conclude that it would be appropriate to raise interest rates more quickly, then, then we'll do so. The Fed also surprised markets with a very hawkish outlook for rates. The forecast calls for seven quarter point hikes this year, up from three and additional four in 2023 in both 2023 and 2024. The median Fed forecast is 2.8 percent. That's above the long run rate of 2.4. Even then, inflation doesn't come down to the 2 percent target rate. So, Melissa, I'm just going to stop it there. And as you can hear from my report, I didn't hear anything that would make me happy about the outlook for the Fed. I think they did more than we thought they would do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they may do more yet still. More than they, we thought that they did, although saying that every meeting is live and possibly going seven times is exactly what the market, the stock market, thought he might do even as early as January. I don't know. Tim, what, what is your take on, on what, the, what the chairman said today? Well, I, I thought he, like Steve, I, I, if anything, what he said was somewhat stock unfriendly. I thought it was a more hawkish tone. We had Bullard that, that certainly indicated he'd go 50. But uh, when I heard, you know, every meeting is live and he stressed the need to be flexible, 
I heard it the other way. I heard it as a Fed that's going to continue to be data dependent and they're not going to overstep their bounds. I know they wanted to state clearly that they want to stay the course, that they want to get price stability back. And that was renounced over and over again. And I think that's very important for the market here. I think the market wants the Fed to be strong, but I think the market wants to know that the Fed is not going to overstep their bounds. But you know, look at look at the two-year note as the barometer, I think, for Fed expectations. At around 2 o'clock, we were at 187. We shot straight to 2%. And then we closed down at 103. In fact, when I came in tonight, I said to Mel, because I, I was on a call from 320 to 330-ish, I said, did, what did Powell do to dial it back? And she said, I don't think so. And I, Because to me, when, when I had to go off and markets were starting to rally back a little bit, there was nothing in his commentary other than I think the Fed will be flexible. Unless there was an expectation, Guy, mm-hmm. that maybe we, we started yesterday's show with could Powell actually go full hawk? If there was some expectation that he was even going to be more hawkish, maybe this is the relief rally. A.J. Hawk, Kitty Hawk, Hawkeye Pierce. I mean, he trumped them all. He was full on (laughs) hawk, more so than even in November. And listen, I got to be honest with you. At 215, when the market was cratering, I think the S&P was trading down to 4251 or something. I'm like, yep, this is going to extend. We're going to continue the sell off. A hundred point rally in the S&P in the last, you know, hour and a half of the day. I have no idea where that came from. So, you know, color me confused as well. I mean, that's typically the state I find myself in even more so today. (laughs) The market wanted clarity. I I agree with Tim. I I think it was a matter of they were looking. There were still market participants who thought there was going to be a 50 basis point hike. I think the fact that it was 25 was a relief for the overall market. Today, there was some expectation there would be 50 Today, but the important point I think Tim said was if they're flexible to the upside, Mm -hmm. then that means they're going to be flexible if they have to move sideways. That's the way I took it. Oh, to be well, not as okay. Maybe that's not the way you meant it. No, no, no. But, you're fine. You're fine. And I, I'm not sure a color me as confused as anybody. But look at the dollar. Look at the dollar that rallied 30 bips upon the announcement that gave up 70 basis points. A 70 basis point move in the dollar and, and the lowering of yields is a market that's telling you we actually think that the Fed's not going to be as aggressive as they said they're going to be. A rally in gold, a $30 rally in gold from the low to the highs. And again, I don't think uh, that's a massive move. It's about a one and a half percent move. But People were you know, expecting that gold would start to sell off if you really felt that the Fed was going to be more aggressive. I think the market told you they don't believe the Fed. Karen, where do you fall? Are you in the camp of confusion? Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely fully in the camp of confusion. But if Steve and uh, Tim are in the blue dress, I see the gold dress or whatever that thing was. <laughs> Thank I you. see that these seven hikes are the default and yeah. that the, that's the default. No, so it's not autopilot. That's different. That gives them a little bit of an out if, you know, if the data is really bad. But I see it as a default. This was very, very hawkish. I, I was thinking, wow, guy must be loving this. And I, I mean, maybe people are optimistic that he'll get a handle on inflation. I don't know. Seems behind the curve to me. But if you had told me everything they were going to say and every answer he had to every question he was asked during this press conference, I would not have told you up 500, and I, 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 I mean, I, this is very surprising to me. Steve, you want to get in? Leesman? Well, I'll just give you two quick explanations. One is that you guys would know this better than I do. Maybe there's a whole lot of money hanging around that has not been buying these dips, and you hit some kind of trigger point in a bunch of computers that don't think much about whether or not the Fed is more or less hawkish at the meeting. 
just hit a point and decided to buy. That could be one idea, and that would also be explained, by the way, by rapid, the rapid movement uh, that you guys were talking about. The other kind of picks up on what Karen's talking about. I do hear some skepticism uh, that, A, the Fed won't do this, and kind of relatedly in B, that inflation may get under control. Um, there is a, a, an idea out there that the Fed could possibly do this. Uh, it, it, may, it could pull this off. Um, and maybe there's a certain optimism that inflation does not go up as much as people think, uh, and B, that the Fed doesn't have to hike quite as much. But I'm in Karen's camp here thinking that uh, seven is the baseline here or, or the floor. Uh, and the question is, do they do more? Because I heard a Fed chair talk about a committee willing to do 50s uh, mm-hmm. if inflation doesn't come under control. And I also saw, and I made a point in my report, that 2.8% um, in 2023 and 2024 as the forecast, which is above neutral, that's what surprised me the most. A Fed willing to go above neutral is a big deal to me. He actually talked about the R word too, Steve, right? And so he sort of took that off the table as far as he can see. For now, he sees a strong economy. And, and, and that's another thing that may animate the market a bit here, right? I mean, we still have 3.7% unemployment rate. We still doing, uh, did a million jobs in the first two months of this year. Uh, they're still looking at growth that's above trend. So all that is good. And by the way, um, as I've said 100 times on this show, the argument you guys should have is not necessarily about earnings. It's about valuations. We've seen companies very successful in profiting amid this higher inflation and boosting dividends and boosting buybacks. Companies are doing just fine. Balance sheets are just fine. Uh, so all of that you have going for you. The only question is, what's the valuation relative to what funds rate? I know it's a big question, but yeah. it's not the question about earnings or growth. Karen, you want to get in? Yeah, I do. So, Steve, looking at the, you know, we keep hearing about the median. And if I look at the median, it looks like there was a whole cluster around wherever the, you know, 24 rate is. And then a few that were much higher. So that median is kind of a... We hear it as average, but it wasn't really the average. No, that's right. Uh, and that's one of the reasons they do the median is because sometimes you have these outliers. But I've talked to Karen. I don't know if you've seen a couple of reports I've done on these Midwestern hawks. You have your, uh, your Waller from St. Louis, your uh, 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 Bullard from St. Louis, uh, George from Kansas City. And then uh, I, don't know, I guess you put Cleveland in Nestor. Uh, th- there is a group of more hawkish uh, Fed officials out there. They want to be doing more to address inflation. Uh, they also want to be doing more on the balance sheet. I think what you saw there, the reason why there was only one dissent and not more, is I-, I think what that balance sheet thing about reducing the balance sheet was a compromise or something that was thrown to the hawks and said, OK, we'll go to balance sheet as fast as possible and you just stick with us right here. And also the idea, I, I, I would not be surprised. Remember, you're going to do 8.5% on the CPI at a minimum in the, in the month of March when it comes out in April. Um, you know, you could be 9%. I, I think 50 is on the table, and I'll be listening very carefully to see if that's affirmed or not uh, for the next meeting or one after that. Steve, always great, great to get your take. Thank you, Steve Leisman. Let's get more reaction from CNBC. I wish it was CNBC. a better, more optimistic report. <laughs> Another time, maybe. CNBC contributor Peter Vukvar joins us now. He's the chief investment officer at Bleakley Advisory Group. Um, Peter, great to have you with us. You think this uh, Fed path that it's laid out is going to cause market pain? Why? How? Well, I, I think it's just a, a very difficult thing that they're trying to pull off. I mean, what we heard today is what their plan is. And via their forecast, 
what their hope is, how the economy sort of absorbs this. I mean, the assumption that the Fed is going to raise this year to almost 2%, raise next year to 3%, and there'll be very little economic repercussions or very little impact to markets, uh, I, I think is, is, is highly misplaced. And look within the Fed's projections. They think that the unemployment rate through taking the Fed funds rate from zero to three is going to magically stay at three and a half percent. And the reason why I'm worried about this is because, and something I've talked about for a while, is that you can't separate out the cost of capital, the direction of the economy, and the direction of markets. Because we have credit cycles that ebb and flow with the cost of capital. The cost of capital is now going higher, so there's going to be a negative economic reaction to that. There's going to be a, a negative multiple reaction in, in, in markets. And I don't know how we can sort of skate through this cleanly as, as Powell hopes we can do. Peter, it's Tim. I, look, I share your, your skepticism on equity markets. Uh, significant skepticism, I think, is warranted. But uh, help the confused here as we all profess to be. How does the dollar give up 70 basis points off of those intraday highs? How does the 10-year, which went up to 225 uh, intraday, go all the way back down to 219, short end of the curve, give something up? What was dovish in the interpretation here? Because it was hawkish. There, there was not, it was hawkish, and that's why the two-year went up nine basis points. What the bond market said to you is, yeah, he's going to raise, or he hopes to raise, and growth is going to slow. So now you have the five-year yield the same level as the 10-year yield, 219. And if the, if the economy is going to slow in response to the now hawkish Powell, well, that could end up being dollar negative. Book, people talking about this Federal Reserve orchestrating a soft landing. I don't think this Federal Reserve could orchestrate Don Giovanni if Mozart was playing the piano and Rico Caruso was singing tenor. What am I missing? Well, yeah, what he laid out, again, is what he hopes to take place. But, again, because I, I, I talked about the, the interrelationship between monetary policy, markets, and the economy, it, it's almost impossible to have a soft landing. It's just a question of how much disturbance will Powell tolerate in terms of how far he gets in these rate hikes. What happens if the S&P 500 is down 25%? Is he still going to go ahead with 7 what happens if in Q2 there's a minus sign in front of GDP, even though inflation is high? Is he still going to do seven this year? It's, it's what his pain tolerance is, is will, will dictate how much he's going to be able to get away with this year in terms of hikes. But I think it's, it's, it's almost delusional to think that there's not going to be a notable economic impact and a market impact since the economy and markets have been so medicated on cheap money for so long. Peter, thank you. Nice to speak with you. Peter Bookvar, Bleakley Advisory Group. Um, so, so let's trade today, the day that it was, Karen. What do you make of that? I mean, do you buy this rally? Do you think we're in the all clear? We've got a, we've got a game plan from Powell, and so we're good. I, guess I bought some things. I sold some things. Actually, for me, it was a pretty busy day. Um, some of the, you know, I, I had some spider calls left. I sold those. Um, I, I think it was a good day, actually, for low... PE stocks. I know that seems somewhat counterintuitive because the real high ones ran, but I think that we'll be turning back to more value-oriented ones. So, but 
on top of all of that, I was confused was probably the most important thing. And then, you know, we'll get to it a little later, but there was some positive housing stuff after the market. I bought some Zillow one-by-two call spreads. I think that was kind of overdone and interesting. So it was a busy day. The problem with having it all clear is we don't have Putin out of the way. Could have Powell out of the way, but we could get a negative headline tomorrow. So you have to be cautious about the rallies within the marketplace when you have a madman still in Russia. So that's the only hesitancy that I have. But raising rates, what does that do for the economy? What, it, it, and I, it's not rhetorical. It's if we're already slowing and if most of this was a supply chain disruption or if you're thinking about uh, inflation coming in already, doesn't it exacerbate it and put too much on the consumer and on corporations? That's where I'm at. But well, how, how long is this inflation going to? I mean, Steve had alluded to the fact that inflation might come down. We could have a ceasefire tomorrow between Russia and Ukraine. And those sanctions may not come off for a very long time. We don't know what the path here is. No, I agree. And if you look at oil, it's back to pre-invasion levels. You have commodities that, that were already well on their way. And and, and this, I, I know it sounds like the cliche that you don't want to hear, but this was a bear market rally. These were stocks that were way oversold. This was a Federal Reserve rally that, that I, I think we, we kind of diagnosed some of the dynamics leading into this yesterday, which was very oversold conditions. The relief in oil prices and the commodity prices, you were limit down in wheat today. You were limit down in a couple other of the softs and some of the bulks gave some ground. This is very good news for equities, but a 225 tenure is different than a 150 tenure in terms of how you, you manage your equities. And at some point, a 2% two-year note is a very attractive place to park cash and as an alternative. So there's some dynamics here that I think are important to, to pay attention we to. Just, we just heard that, in fact, from Jeffrey Gunlock of DoubleLine on, on Overtime previous hour. He would go, it wasn't a would you rather, but basically it was. He said he would rather the two-year over cash guy. Well, and you listen. You should listen to him when he talks. You know, and he also, I think, he echoed, or he shouldn't. He didn't echo because he said it before. But you know, he reinforced some of the things that Peter just said. Now, you know, he doesn't see any way that they orchestrate us out of this thing. And I agree. Look, today was didn't make a lot of sense to me. I know we're going to try to explain it. it. To me, it it there's no way to explain it other than this. And we've said this dozens of times. Karen said it last week, the most violent rallies take place in, you know, markets that are headed lower. And I think that's exactly what we saw today. Coming up, we've got a duplex housing trade for you. Lennar and Williams-Sonoma both on the move after reporting earnings. The after hours action in those stocks next and later. A venti size and move higher in Starbucks. Time to jump into this name or will you get roasted? We got that trade ahead. More Fast Money in two. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
Welcome back to Fast Money and Earnings Alert on two After Hours Movers. Shares of Lennar and Williams Sonoma on the move after reporting results. Let's start off with Williams Sonoma, the company raising its dividend by 10%, announcing a $1.5 billion buyback. Lennar also rising as Q1 profit came in better than expected. Uh, Tim, we'll go to you on, uh, I think, WSM, right? WSM uh, down 35% into the print, 18 times, not expensive. Certainly depends on how much pull forward you think they had to their business. They should have margin pressure, but this is a company that's in an upswing. And it's a company that I think we talk about. It's a major component of that XHB. And if I'm in the home builder space, I'd rather own a Williams-Sonoma, especially beaten down with this valuation. I just have a problem if the economy Mm -hmm. is going to be slowing. I I, I agree with Tim on the fact that it's due for a bounce, right? It was on a downtrend. It's due for a bounce. But if the economy is going to be slowing, I don't know if you necessarily want to be here. But I think this and the home builder space are all acting the same way anyway. So if you have a quality name like a William Sonoma, maybe you can be insulated from some of the downslide. Unless you think the, cons- the economy slows, but the consumer, particularly the high-end consumer guy, has got a great balance sheet, paid down debt, um, and can afford to buy the sundries Leather that chairs you can buy at like William Sonoma. Exactly. The there. Nice chairs. <laughs> Well, that's a good point. I don't know if we got those at WSM. I know we probably got that Dutch oven that we have in the kitchen from there. Uh, I'll say this. The comps weren't great. They actually missed on the comp side. But look at their operating margins. 21% operating margins. Really impressive, given what they did this quarter last year. I mean, you can make a case. Valuation's obviously a little bit better than it was. I think, to Tim's point, given the sell-off we've seen in this name, I think you can buy Williams-Sonoma here, despite the move higher in the after hours. We have gotten through that discussion without a mention of a Dutch oven. Um, Let's move to coal, soaring more than 17 percent today following reports that Canadian department store Hudson's Bay is eyeing a buyout of the retailer. Karen, this is one reason why you were so busy today. Yes. Well, I was happy. That was good. Uh, First, it came out Axios and the stock was up, but then Dow Jones reported it and that was... uh, that really put a fire under it. I think that it's very likely that that is true. I don't know what the board's going to do. However, I bought stock who was trading at like 61 and change. I just thought that was too cheap for what sounded like a high 60s bid. The other thing I did was a one by two, one by one and a half call spread that I thought was pretty attractive. I feel like the pressure is really on the board now. I mean, it didn't. The stock did not respond well to their plan what they did when they did Investor Day a week or two ago. So, I think uh, I think the chance for a deal here is pretty high. Whenever you start hearing things like this, it always expands, and you hear more about it. Or there's another party that's interested, or somebody looks under the hood, like Karen, and says, you know what, it's worth more than it is on paper. So people start to do a lot more investigative work. This has been in a trading range from 65 down to 45. But I think the next days to come are probably uh, you would err to the upside if you were looking at a stock on a technical level. Guy? Got that Amazon wildcard out there that we mentioned a lot of times. I get added on Twitter all the time when I mention it, but you can't discount that. And I think it makes sense. You can't argue with it on valuation. Maybe in terms of uh, operationally, they've been challenged, but valuations are compelling. And if you get some people behind it, I think the stock, where's the recent high, 77 or something? I think it gets there. All right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Guys, great call. Adami said Alibaba was ready to rally, and he was right. What's his fast take on the high flyer now? Plus, the chart master has his credit card out, and he's buying a payment stock. What name is he swiping into? 
That trade next. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a rough couple of months for the company formerly known as Square. The stock has fallen more than 56% from its August peak. But today, the fintech name staged a reversal, popping 12.5%. And the chart master says there are more gains to come. Let's get to the charts with Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Hey, Carter. Hi there. I mean, for starters, I mean, the move is not unique in the sense that there are a lot of big moves, right? We know that Snowflake up almost 16 MongoDB up that much, DraftKings up 13, 14, Heroku. But if you were to look at the Russell 1000, uh, the common circumstance of those stocks that move the most is they're the most beaten up. So let's go to the first chart of Square. And here's why I think it's a bit different. So Square, uh, you could see an incredible thing, right? A 71% peak to trough decline. It's 290 high in August, a long time ago. It made a low, though, and this is key, on February 24th. So it's the first of all of these to bottom. That's almost three weeks ago at 83. Now, if you remember that chart, let's look at the next one, exact same time frame. And what do we know? We have moved above a well-defined downtrend line, and we have put in the early makings of a reversal. It doesn't matter whether you call it a head and shoulders bottom. The key is that it's been underway for almost three weeks, whereas the others, some of the others that I listed, many of them were making new lows as recently as one, two, three days ago. So let's look at those exact same charts, but longer term. And this then begs the question, when you start to bottom, is it a midair stick save? Did it just happen out of nowhere? No. <laughs> look exactly where this stock starts to bottom at support. That line drawn along the tops is simply the peak before COVID. And you can see it's a well-defined level. The stock has found support down 71% and it started to bottom three weeks ago. And today's actually confirms final chart. Uh, well, two more actually. There's the minor head and shoulders bottom at support. And then the final chart, and this is the most important, where might it be headed? So a simple exercise would be simply back to the smoothing mechanism, the 150-day moving average. Now, that's way up there at 190, but remember, it's declining quickly. Uh, and so I think the two meet, price and smoothing mechanism, are around 155. That's 30% higher from here. 30% higher from here. Wow. Carter, thank you. Carter Worth, of Worth Charting. Now, Mel, you, d- you got a total visual when he referred to the midair stick save, right? I mean, that was I had no right idea what he was talking house. about, but I know that you guys know what he's uh, talking about. So absolutely. Fine. Hockey metaphor. Like, you know, good stuff. Sorry to interrupt. It's your show. Guy, you're <laughs> nodding your head back to pro- regular programming here. <laughs> you're nodding your head on the charts. No, because I go back to October of 2018. I think the stock at the time, Square, made an all-time high, like 93 so Carter drew the line for you, as he says, the lines draw themselves. And, you know, you take a 50% retracement of the all-time high in the recent low, you get 175-ish dollar stock. And that's exactly the level he's talking about. And quite frankly, given the environment we find ourselves in, that's not that far-fetched, Mel. Karen, how do you feel about the valuation still? Uh, well, it's lower Right. Is it cheap? I don't know. But it deserves to have a premium for the space, I think. When you, um, so 
it's actually somewhat appealing to me. Hmm. But the I haven't bought names. it. Although I got to say, I did buy some Affirm. I did right. buy some Affirm. So the traditional names like Visa or MasterCard, they had underperformed all of the new tech, uh, tech banking stocks, so whatever you, whatever you want to call them, du jour. But if you look at SoFi now, it's down 45% pretty recently. So the chart looks, doesn't look dissimilar to a square chart, but the problem is it has not bottomed yet uh, as square has. So if on the risk curve, this is definitely a riskier name. But you have a lot less downside to worry about if you wanted to dabble in SoFi as well. I, I just say if you look at the gross margin on a two-year stack, and that's the most important thing, you're, you're at about a 71%. If you look at the multiple, you ask Karen about it, it's probably about seven, excuse me, it's about eight times EV. The pandemic low is five to six times. So interesting relative to itself. I, I do think the stock's interesting here. All right. Speaking of payment stocks, here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking to the CEO of American Express. You can catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Coming up, AMC going for the gold. But what's the movie theater chain up to now? The head scratcher of a deal that surprised investors ahead. A batter up. Baseball's back. Spring training officially begins tomorrow. We've got a fast pitch for you tonight. Our pitcher is in the bullpen. She's ready to throw some heat. That name and much more when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of IBM have been stuck in a rut for years. The one-time tech titan has seen a stock drop by over 35% in the last decade. But our next guest says Big Blue could be due for a big breakout. KMLLC President Catherine Avery is taking the mound for a fast pitch on IBM. She's on the fast line right now. Um, Catherine, why do you think now? Why do you think now is the time the stock's going to break out? Hi, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, this is a transformation story. And as you said, this company has not grown for years, years of disappointment in the earnings. But we are now in a transformation from low growth into high growth. They just spun off Kindrel, which is their low growth business. Now it's a focus on Red Hat, cloud, software. And I think with the new CEO in place, I think we're going to start to see many more changes. Um, in this last quarter where we finally saw the spinoff from, with Kindrel, we saw an acceleration in EPS and top-line growth, and we expect that to continue. EPS are expected to grow 20% this year, another 10% in 2023. The stock is only trading at a 13 multiple. It's a 30% discount to the S&P 500. And on top of that, number three, which is where we really like the stock, 5.3% dividend yield. 25 years of dividend increases, 9% free cash flow yield. That's double the dividend yield on the stock. This is the type of stock that we at KM want to own in a rising rate inflationary environment. Low PE, high quality, above average dividend yield. Karen, you got a, Karen, you got a question for Catherine? Yeah, so over the last decade or so, they've spent a ton of money on buybacks, and uh, which turned out to not have been a good use of cash. What's their strategy now with buybacks? Well, I think we're going to continue to see the buybacks. Um, we saw a lot of the, ca- you know, the company has a very, very strong cash flow. A lot of that cash flow has gone to pay the dividends. The company has also used it to strategically get into higher growth businesses. And I think we will continue to see the buybacks continue as well. Um, the dividend yields are 
said in his last call was continuing to be sacred for him, and uh, we can expect to see those in- dividend increases continue. But I think it will be a combination of both the dividend increases and the stock buyback. Hey, Catherine, Tim, thanks for coming tonight. Uh, talk to me about the sure. software growth, a high margin business for them and one that I, I think we're relying on to see this revalue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 20 percent growth we saw in the last quarter. Um, we will probably continue to see that accelerating at that 20 percent growth rate. Eight to nine percent revenue growth for the company is what the company has guided for us. Um, I think that's going to continue. You know, um, we are coming into um, a cap spending cycle. I think now that we are, we're past the pandemic, we've had a lot of supply chain dislocations going on. Companies are going to start to look to reevaluating their internal infrastructure and how to enhance their productivity. Um, companies have been seeing issues with trying to build new facilities, build new engines, et cetera. Software is one of those places where you don't have to really deal with those supply chain dislocations and still at the same time be able to enhance your productivity. So I think we're coming into a new cap spending cycle for technology. Catherine, thanks for sharing your fast pitch with us tonight. We'll see you soon. Catherine Avery, um, no more questions here. We're going to vote. So are you buying Catherine Avery's pitch on IBM? Guy, what do you say? Mel, can you read my smart board for me, please? Okay, it says, Gary Cohn, hashtag GDC. Yes, as you know, Mel, typically, historically, there have been three certainties in life, death taxes and my jump shot. I'm going to add a fourth. Never bet against Gary Cohen, who's now a year into his vice chair role at IBM. If anybody Mm. can figure it out, it's the aforementioned GDC. Interesting. Tim, what do you say? Yeah, look, uh, I'm a buy. That's a kind of a weird big buy. I think this is I, I think this is a nice, solid line drive up the middle. It's not a home run, doesn't need to be. And I think if you think about IBM, I think they finally found a way to give you uh, kind of mid single digits revenues. But more importantly, it's a company that's giving you about 10 or 15 percent free cash flow yields. Uh, I think it's in this environment, it's defensive. What's your vote, Karen? Yeah, so uh, I'm with the boys there. I, I, this is a not so clever uh, incorporation of the IBM logo to say I buy. Ooh. I I like it. it, You know, cheap valuation is always interesting to me. And hopefully um, she's right about uh, software and better margins. And so interesting risk reward. Steve Grasso. It's a sweep. Wow. It's a sweep. And I think if they could really turn into a growth company where everyone looked at this as a secular bearish story from 200 down to the recent levels, it's starting to build a little bit of a base. If they could change the narrative, I think it's a buy. You know what that means. All the poor girl, are poor girl no. she's dead on Twitter. <laughs> yes. All right. It's going um, down. The, tra- the traders have spoken, but are you out there buying Catherine's pitch on IBM? You can vote in her Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll bring you the results later on in the show. But next, Ababa Blast shares of Alibaba surging as China Tech roars back. And our own guy, Adami, called the move just last night. We'll break it down next. Plus, strange activity in the options pits. AMC buying a stake in a small gold miner in someone or a group of someone's made a well-timed bet just days before the deal. We'll go inside the numbers. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Alibaba going bonkers. Shares up 36% today. And if you saw last night's show, you might remember one of our traders saw this coming. Let's fire up the Fast Money time machine to see what our own guy Adami had to say last night. 
I can smell the fast fire from here, Melms, but I think you're going to get a 15 to 20 percent rally in Alibaba from these levels. Wow. Guy, what's your take now? Well, you know, we had pointed out the volume we saw over the last couple of days. We thought this. I thought it would bounce. I didn't think it would happen today, and I didn't think it was going to be 35 percent. But I'll say this. I mean, think about it. Alibaba is, what is it, $300 billion company moving 37% in one trading day? I mean, the market's completely broken. And quite frankly, um, you're still in this significant downtrend from Halloween, boo, of 2020 to where we are now. Nothing's changed. Um, again, single day move, 150 million shares. If you were fortunate enough to be long this stock yesterday's close, um, I think you got to, you absolutely have to be taking money off the table here. Tim, you were. So what do you do? Yeah, but I I think something changed. And great call, Guy. I I think it's a case where you you have, first of all, a regulator coming out and pointing out that in terms of some of the listing requirements and where China wants to play ball and be a member of the global uh, money center banking and and capital markets community, they do. And and I think that's part of it. I think you had some cap uh, structure ARB going on. I think there are people that were short this stock, and I think some people got ripped. Look at the EEM today also. I've been trading EEM for a long time up 8%. Uh, and when you think about the component that China and Chinese ADRs have here, um, I think there's a little more room to run. I, I understand what Beijing said was a relief to a lot of investors, but the, ro- the exact roadmap is still unclear. They addressed the concerns, which is a step forward, Steve, but I don't know if there's much clarity for investors in terms of next steps. Well, well the original thing is what Tim, Tim just said. It was about delisting, then it was about coming out of growth, going into value, but great call by Guy. And when you look at the chart that looks like this, No one wanted to dabble in this, especially with people exiting all Russian-related trades. Mm -hmm. People wanted to exit all Chinese-related trades. I don't know how long this lasts, but this was a great technical call by Guy. Uh, Karen, does this rally today change your view at all about Alibaba? That it's valuation porn, you mean? No. It doesn't, but also it doesn't make me want to buy it. I mean, I can't look at it today. and I, Sure, I wish I owned something up 36% in a day. But I, I, if I had it to do over, I wasn't going to be buying it yesterday. But Guy would have, and Tim owned it, so kudos to them. But uh, that's okay. I'll let this one go. All right. Now, a venti-sized change at Starbucks today, the stock ending the day up 5% after CEO Kevin Johnson announced he plans to retire next month. Founder and former CEO Howard Schultz making another comeback while the company searches for a permanent replacement. This will be Schultz's third stint running the company. Johnson, by the way, is the second highest level executive to leave the coffee giant in the past year. Former COO Roz Brewer left early last year to become the CEO of Walgreens. Um, Karen, the timing is interesting. Uh, The Starbucks board has come out and said Kevin wanted to leave the company at the end of the pandemic. He told that to them about a year ago, which would sort of line up with the timing of Ross Brewer's departure. What do you think? I don't know. I feel like we're not quite getting the whole story. I mean, I I didn't I don't feel like, wow, things are going fantastic. So I'm going to leave at the beginning of next month. That doesn't quite seem right to me. And I do think the timing of her leaving, maybe they told her, hey, we're not ready to give you the CEO job. I don't know. Or maybe just the the Walgreens was too attractive. I don't know. Something is odd here. All that having been said, though, you cannot get a better interim CEO than Howard Schultz for Starbucks. I mean, you know, that is the, the very, very best you can do. So it's in good hands in the meantime. But, you know, I don't own it. It's 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 fine, I think, at this level. It's coming a lot, but I, I feel like there's some other more compelling things out there. 
I mean, does, does uh, Howard Schultz bring his uh, caffeine to the stock here, stock that's been having some trouble, Tim? <laughs> It's been a disaster, and we've talked about it. We've talked about some of the margin pressure. We've talked about some of the issues they have in terms of labor. Uh, we also, I think, saw downgrades in terms of their growth based upon the China growth story. Um, but And, and the, the boomerang CEO story, you have to be careful about it. Uh, not only it, did it not always work for the Yankees and Billy Martin, footnote Sandy Cannell on uh, our executive producer, referencing the Yankees hiring Billy Martin over and over but sometimes CEOs come back and they're not as relevant to the current business. And I think in Howard Schultz's case, um, certainly possibly. But Starbucks has issues in terms of growth and in terms of, I think, headwinds right now that are going to be tough. I'm a shareholder. I stay a shareholder. Uh, but I think they're struggling here. And, and I think they, you know, the core brand is alive and well. But I do think that there's some things in terms of, again, their labor force and their ability to have pricing power from here. They've already ratcheted up prices so much that I think they're starting to lose people. So Tim doesn't sound very positive guy about Howard Schultz. Are you? Well, Mel, as you know, I mean, you're a big hockey fan. And you remember the Rangers Huge. brought Messier in in the early 90s. Oh, yeah. They won a cup in 94. He left to go and play Vancouver. But when they brought him back, he was a shell of his former self, and he was just not into it. I'm not suggesting Mr. Schultz is a shell of his former self. But you've got to wonder how into it he's going to be. And I'm with Karen on this one. It just it doesn't pass the smell test to me. There is a scarcity value, though, in this in this space. So, and and the stock has been sold off considerably. I think to, when Karen started making before the smell test comment, I think the uh, shareholders will actually feel pretty comforted that he is around at least at this stage. All right, coming up, odd options. The call buying ahead of the AMC gold miner deal that got us raising our eyebrows. We'll bring you the details next. And there's still time to vote on Catherine Avery's pitch. Are you buying IBM? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. Much more fast right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. AMC making headlines after inking a deal to buy a major stake in a small gold mining company. But there's some strange activity in the options pits that had our own Tony Zhang scratching his head. He joins us now to break down the action. Tony, what'd you see? Yeah, Melissa, Highcroft is really a, uh, a stock that doesn't see a lot of volume normally. Before March 8th, this was a stock that was averaging under 100 contracts a day. But over the past few days, we started to see 5,000, 10,000, even over 30,000 contracts traded of the March $2.5 call options, which expired just this Friday. So this is mostly retail volume trading the intraday volatility. But we did see one particular trade, the April $1 by $4 call spread trade today for $0.55 that may reflect a little bit more of a longer term view now that the news is out, expressing that this trader believing that uh, this particular stock could rise up to roughly the $4 level. And if it does, this will pay out about a 5 to 1 risk reward ratio if we do see some staying power for Highcroft. I love how the April expiration is the longer term view. <laughs> Karen, what do you make of this activity? It definitely raises eyebrows. Of course it does. It's ridiculous. I mean, what do you think some, you know, money management firm decided we need exposure to a small cap, not gold and silver, development of gold and silver stat, and we need it by Friday. <laughs> I mean, come on. That is ridiculous. I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean... I feel like you're going to spend more money in lawyer's fees than you could make buying those calls. I don't get it. I mean, the, the market cap of this company is $80 million yeah, and, and probably on a good day. So I, I don't 
I don't get it. It's certainly not changing the trajectory of AMC's business. Sorry. Tony, what, what have you noticed in the past in terms of regulators looking into suspicious activity like this? Yeah, so from what I can tell, this is mostly retail trading, mm-hmm. trading intraday, day trading. This is not necessarily institutional buying of, uh, you know, of insider information. But certainly, this is the more obvious way to 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 um, do some insider trading. And this is not something that I think someone is doing um, some insider trading using options, in my opinion. All right, Tony, thank you. Tony Zank sniffing out the action for us. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. By the way, there is still time to vote on Catherine Avery's Fast Pitch. Are you buying IBM? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We got the results and your final trade next. Welcome back. Time to find out if the viewers at home are buying Catherine Avery's fast pitch on IBM. And it looks like, unfortunately, the Twitterverse was not jumping on board, voting directly against our panelists, who all voted in favor. Um, 68% of you all out there said no, not buying IBM. I hope she no, didn't watch the end of the show. You. She never had a chance with us all voting I for. know. Uh, time for the final <laughs> trade. Let's go around the horn. Karen Feinerman. Yes, I sold some paramount upside calls. The stocks rallied all the way back from that earnings miss. It's now higher than that, so take a little money off the table. Guy Adami. Rates higher, good for insurers. Prue, PRU, Melms. Tim Seymour. Bank of America. So banks have rallied back, and I'm a little cautious on this rally overall, but I think some questions have been answered for banks in the last couple weeks. I think with better commodity prices, a little less concern on that. And I do think higher rates ultimately are still very good for banks. So like BAC here. Steve? I started to look at the value bucket once again, and DuPont caught my eye when I looked at the chart on it. It bounced off a recent level, which is around $69, which is the October 2021 low. I would look to start gaining a position in here or adding to it or staying long. All right. Thank you all for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Meantime. Do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.